Welcome to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. This episode was sponsored by DesignSpark, design tools and resources for engineers to help make their ideas happen. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas. And we are your hosts for Q Talks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on Q Talks, we are talking to Catherine Tilly, a researcher at the Institute for Manufacturing at Cambridge University. Catherine's research is focused on decision making to improve social and environmental sustainability. And previously, she had a career at strategy consulting firm McKinsey & Company. Catherine was also one of the keynote speakers at QTech's Technology Venture Conference last month. We're very excited to be talking to Catherine about corporate sustainability, an often overlooked topic by new founders. I look very much forward to having Catherine on the show. Uh, not only because sustainability is obviously a very important topic for society, but also because sustainability is potentially a really interesting business opportunity for startups. Hi, Catherine. Thank you very much for coming on the show with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. If you could start with telling us a bit about your past experiences and what you're currently doing. My goodness. So I started my career a long time ago and spent most of it in the management consulting world, uh, where I specialized in uh, organizations and how they get led, how they're managed, how they're, how they're run. I've done a lot of work in strategy uh, and uh, particularly looking at future trends and how we understand those and incorporate those into the world of work. Um, I did that until oh, a few years ago. I moved back to Cambridge um, and spent some time working with the Institute for Sustainability Leadership, looking particularly at how we can educate the leaders of businesses uh, in working in a more socially and environmentally responsible way. Uh, and then I moved across to the Institute for Manufacturing to continue that work, looking particularly at how people bring social and environmental considerations into business decision-making. That's really interesting. How has your experience with McKinsey and maybe also your PhD experience in, in Cambridge helped you to understand how business operate? One of the things about any consultancy is that you get a lot of exposure to different sorts of situations and you see people in a wide range of, of different industries and so on. So you get breadth, perhaps a bit more than depth. Um, but I think that exposure has given me quite a broad perspective on the types of situations that uh, it, companies are currently facing. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about my work in Cambridge, you flip that round and you get depth rather than breadth. So you end up kind of like the letter T. Um, and my work in Cambridge has been uh, focused much more on trying to understand what are the influences on decision-making within organizations mm -hmm. uh, that uh, help people deal with um, quite complex situations. So traditional uh, perspectives on decision-making are that people are rational and that they're economically rational mm -hmm. and that all you've got to do as a business is work out what's going to make you most money and then do that thing. But of course, once you start thinking about the long term versus the short term, or start thinking about social and environmental impacts, which of course have costs and benefits, as well as the economic impacts, you find that these elements are in tension with each other. And so the way in which you make a decision that optimizes across multiple um, 
factors and across multiple time frames is really different from the way you would solve a problem where you're just looking at the profit and loss impact. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you were based at one point in the Institute for Sustainability. Mm. I think it'll be interesting to talk a bit about sustainability from the perspective of applying it to startups. I think it's not an area that a lot of people tend to consider, especially as founders. So I'd be quite interested in your opinion on what founders can do to ensure that their startup is sustainable and all aspects of sustainability, really. Um, and like, what should founders be most aware of when they consider sustainability? Well, of course, for some founders, sustainability is a fantastic opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, There are plenty of new technologies for improving energy efficiency, improving other sorts of uh, resource efficiency, new materials, all those sorts of things, where the markets will grow massively as a result of big businesses and potential customers needing to operate in a more um, environmentally effective way. Mm. Um, But if you're not in one of those businesses, I think, you know, we start from the, the very basic principles, uh, which is that, um, this is going to sound so obvious, waste is bad. Mm. Uh, Waste comes in an awful lot of different forms. So there's waste of uh, resources, energy, materials, those sorts of things. So as you think about product design, how you put that together, Mm. how you deal with it at the end of life uh, becomes very important. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, can you make things that are suitable for reuse? Can you make things where you, you close the operational uh, loop so that it's a, a circular cradle-to-cradle kind of uh, product or service? Um, other sorts of waste also include, you know, the waste uh, that, you know, that comes from social injustice. So think products or services that exclude people are, in a sense, wasting human talent. Uh, and so thinking about your impacts in terms of, of the, the various sorts of waste that can be generated by a business and trying to reduce those will almost always start you thinking in a way that is going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing to think about for a founder is a broad range of stakeholders. Um, Obviously, when you're starting up a new business, the big thing that's on your mind is customers. You need to sell some stuff Mm -hmm. in order to prove that you can get more funding and so on and so forth. But in fact, um, businesses are part of a much bigger ecological system. And so understanding who else is out there, what does this mean for um, the communities that you serve, not just the people buying your product? what does it mean for the people who are going to work with you? What does it mean for you know the the location in which you find yourself? Um, what does it mean for the people who are going to be recycling your product, for example, at, at the end of its life? Mm-hmm. Um, thinking through all of those different stakeholders, which include, by the way, other species and future generations who tend not to come to the meeting, um, <laughs> those those people should should all be be thought about, and that will give you a much broader perspective on what your business can be about and how you can create value not just for the people who are buying your product, but by f- for a whole range of, of different constituencies who are part of the ecosystem mm. that you're part of. So I, I think if founders think about those two concepts, the first one will probably save them some money, right? That's a good thing. Mm. The second one will help them identify opportunities to create value. That's a good thing. Um, it makes a ton of sense for founders to think about this. I think the third sort of aspect of sustainability is that to act sustainably, you try and think about doing things in the short term that don't compromise the long-term future of other people, of the mm. planet and so on. As a founder, it's smart to think about what the long term of your company is. Mm-hmm. We know that not everything lasts, but at the same time, um, 
you know, you're potentially creating a multi-generation legacy mm-hmm. when you create a new business. And so thinking about that long-term perspective and not just where the next sale is coming from will make your life more interesting, quite mm-hmm. apart from anything else, mm-hmm. um, but also will help you think in a more sustainable way. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the three big things that founders could focus on. Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest sustainability challenges you are seeing out there? And which of these are perhaps best suited to be tackled by startups? That's a great question. So there's lots and lots of different sorts of sustainability challenge. We've seen David Attenborough bring attention to plastics in a big way recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people do take different perspectives on this. Um, However, um, the the, the big uh, existential question of our time really is about making a just transition to a low carbon economy. Mm-hmm. There's two parts to that. One is low carbon econ- economy and the other one is a just transition, one that is fair to everyone. Mm-hmm. If a few of us make it and survive and are rich, that's not really doing justice mm-hmm. to the other people we share our planet with. And the reason I pick that out in particular is that the timescales are short and the nature of the change is enormous um, and pervades multiple different sorts of societies, multiple different impacts. But we're already seeing the impacts of climate change and we need to act now. I think from a founder's point of view or from a startup point of view, um, there are opportunities here. There are opportunities to rethink the system, to rethink the ways in which we generate energy, the ways in which we use energy, the ways in which we use carbon uh, that could be fantastically helpful um as a startup you're not stuck with the problems that the incumbents have in shifting out of products or services that they already have Mm. you can design your approach with the end in mind and with a low carbon impact in mind and i think that would be you know that the if if you remember one thing from this podcast that would be the thing i'd like to leave you with Mm -hmm. with this sort of umbrella term of sustainability if we take it from a different definition in looking at corporate sustainability. Mm. What advice would you give to founders who are looking to instill this sort of corporate sustainability into their culture from the get-go? By that, do you mean longevity of the company or do you mean uh, companies that are socially environmentally responsible? All of it. All of it. Um, How would you put that? That's not too much to ask. (laughs) No, it's not too much to ask. We need people to do this, and so we need to help them think about it. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, so, how would you put it into the culture? I think there's some quite simple things to do. When you start um, any sort of organization, there's a few things that you signal are important through everything that you do. So, um, in my previous career, one of the things I did was I went and founded one of our offices out in Poland. And uh, so, I was bringing a lot of people in, and a lot of the I spent what felt to me like an extraordinarily large amount of time telling stories, sort of repeating things over and over and over again and, and saying saying what I thought was going to be important for us and how we needed to work together as a community. Mm. Um, to the point where I thought I was really being quite boring. But in fact, no, you have to tell the story lots of time for people to, to, to understand it. And so I think talking about not wasting, talking about multiple communities, talking about taking a long-term perspective mm. and keeping on saying these things starts to embed that in the way people think and the way people see things. And sometimes that's about the small stuff. Sometimes that is about, you know, which dustbin do we use? And when we're doing a business case for a new product, do we look at the disposal as well as the the initial creation costs? So there's these small habits of mind that can really permeate the way people see the world. Um, 
even things like you know where you hold your meetings, who you invite to your meetings, can send really strong signals to the communities that you're a member of, of about about what you value and what's important. Mm-hmm. Because this really is about what you value and what you consider to be important. Mm. How much do you think in tech startups this sort of area of sustainability applies or what might be some nuances in tech startups if we're thinking about say software startups might have less physical waste in terms of the lifespan of a product but maybe with a service looking at how sustainable their service actually is i think i mean so there's multiple dimensions to technology one of the things we're hearing a lot about at the moment uh, is inclusion and the way in which you use technology to enable um, people to be more included in our society, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of bad news at the moment about, for example, um, machine learning using data that systematically fails to include women or other minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing, I think, tech can play a fantastic role in redressing the balance in that. Uh, so I think for for software, particularly in things like artificial intelligence, things about things like um, uh, machine learning, mm-hmm. making sure that you are being inclusive of a range of different people, and making sure that you've got some sort of ethical sounding board, I think would be very helpful. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should. And I'm not sure that all tech startups have a way of having that conversation internally. So I'd, I'd encourage them to think about that. Mm-hmm. Now, as part of uh, your previous consultancy uh, position, but also as part of your research in Cambridge, you've engaged very closely with decision makers. Mm. Who do you think should be the decision makers in companies? That depends on the decision. <laughs> so, and, and that sounds like a very facetious answer. I, I get that. But we make decisions all the time. Mm. Um We, you know, every time you use a dustbin, you're making a decision about the planet. Mm-hmm. Every time you switch a light switch off or not, you're making a decision. Every time you decide whether to install LED bulbs or, or not, you're making a decision. Should those all go to the CEO? No, because the CEO's head would explode if they had to deal with all of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So what we actually find is there are lots of different, well, I say lots of different times, four different types of decisions mm-hmm. that, that tend to come up Uh, repeatedly or different characteristics of decisions that come up and those need to be held in different places in the organization mm-hmm. and it depends a little bit on what the organization is about mm-hmm. and where the impacts are going to be held so sometimes you find an organization where all of the really sort of substantive impacts are held by the engineering department mm-hmm. fine you need some experts in that sometimes you find a, deci- uh, a, a company where all the substantive impacts are held um in the front line. So if you look at, for example, a retailer, mm-hmm. the purchasing department have a much bigger impact. Well, in fact, there's two groups. One is the purchasing department. The other is store operations. You mm. know, d- did we shut the fridge door at night? Mm. Um, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, d- it does depend a lot on where the impacts are. But I think by looking systematically about at where the social and environmental impacts are, identifying those decisions, thinking about how to make them intelligently. Are they repeated decisions of the same type? Mm. Are they habitual, like lights and dustbins? Mm. Or are they big, strategic, difficult problems where we need to do a lot of analysis? Mm. That really helps sort of sort out where it's held and who needs to do it, and the types of skills and decision support that would be available for it. Mm. So you mentioned there are four different types of decisions. Can we maybe talk a bit more about, about those? Sure. So the first ones are the really basic operational ones that you don't even know you're making. You know, the lights and 
and dustbins kind of decisions. We make those habitually, uh, and we make them often in heuristics. And one of the problems that incumbents have that startups potentially don't is that those are quite kind of hardwired into us. We don't think about it. And so getting your heuristics right at the beginning of a startup gives you a fantastic opportunity to avoid that whole problem. Mm -hmm. The second set of sort of problems are uh, engineering-type problems, where you're talking about sort of... um, fairly well-defined decisions you know should we invest in this technology should we you know install this kind of processing plant Uh, very often what you need to be thinking about there is they are repeated decisions uh, particularly if you've got you know big factories and you're trying to update them from time to time Um, and the opportunity is often an efficiency one Mm -hmm. it's often a chance to you know reduce energy consumption it's an often a a chance to you know revise material consumption and so finding ways to make sure that those sorts of things are appropriately priced in your models Mm -hmm. is really helpful Mm -hmm. water for example is way too cheap um and so you know if you use a conventional uh, payback model for uh, evaluating water efficiency you tend to end up with the wrong answer Mm. Um, and so making sure those decisions are being made well is is important. The third type of decision are sort of messy ones where you've got a they're messy because you've got a lot of different stakeholders that might see the world in different ways. So for example, if you are building something in a residential community, you've got people living there already. Hmm. Uh, you've got sort of things that you might do that will interfere with those people's lives, possibly in a good way, possibly in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have, depending on the vulnerability of those people, you may have NGOs involved, you may have funders involved. You've got a lot of people who see the problem in a different way. And so finding ways to engage those groups and to uh, get them to um, consensus around what's the right thing for everyone is a really important step. The fourth type is actually relatively unusual, and those are the really awful problems um, where the problem is normally very iterative. Uh, in, in, the sort of, in the classic sustainability language, the other one's called wicked problems, which mm-hmm. uh, is, a, is a policy kind of definition. It sounds like it's me being dramatic. It's, it's not. It's actually a technical <laughs> term. Where the, the nature of the problem or the problem can't really be solved within the system that created the problem. And so you're not needing to start to in, engage in systemic change. This is going to be very important, um, but it's it's not something that's always run by individual businesses. And quite often, to make that work, you need system level or sector level collaboration to solve those those decisions. So those would be my four kind of archetypal decisions. Really interesting. A, a lot of founders of tech startups operate in an environment that's characterized by a lot of uncertainty. Mm. Do you have any advice for founders? kind of in these very uncertain decision-making situations as to how they can approach that? First of all, I have a huge level of personal sympathy for them. Mm. Um, I think the thing about uncertainty, it's very easy to put your hands up in the air and go, oh, this is too difficult. You know, mm. What am I dealing with? Oh, it's all uncertain. Um, it's probably not all uncertain. Mm-hmm. It just feels like that. And so I think the first thing is just describe the uncertainty. What is it that we don't know? What is it that we do know? Mm -hmm. Is it that there's two possible outcomes and we just don't know which is going to happen? Is it that there are multiple outcomes and you could use something like scenarios to work through the different possibilities? Or is it genuinely like all up for grabs? Mm -hmm. That last sort is relatively rare. So actually just trying to sit down and, and work through what's the nature of the problem. Can we understand it? Are there small experiments that we could do that would help us kind of nail this down a little bit, um, that can really help to, to, to 
to sort of frame the difficulty and understand what the what the focus of the problem might be. Mm-hmm. So building from that, what would you say are some of the common pitfalls that founders might make in decision making in the early stages of a startup that could potentially be avoided by your advice? The thing about founders is that they're hugely varied and at that early stage it's personal and we do all bring our own biases, our own worldviews to the choices that we make. Uh, And so I think the most helpful thing founders can do is find some people that don't agree with them Mm -hmm. and find a way to have a really honest conversation with them. Mm. Um, Know your own blind spots because that's where the the difficult things will happen. Um, Now, sustainability is, is, and rightfully so, often seen as a very serious topic. We were wondering, as kind of the final question of this podcast, have you ever come across any funny kind of way of approaching sustainability? Oh my goodness, what a fantastic question that is. I do think some companies are doing things that are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we look at um, brands like, uh, for example, Innocent mm-hmm. um, Drinks, which of course was a startup from Cambridge, has done really well. They have managed to take sustainability very seriously. They do a lot of work in you know, trying to um, improve the the sustainability of their product, of the way in which it's delivered and so on. And yet they've maintained um, an approach that is not in any way kind of po-faced. I mean, that sort of 1970s vegetarian, hessian kind mm. of thing is, is not really happening in a lot of these brands. Same with someone like Ben & Jerry's, mm-hmm. who have been quite politically involved. Um, so I think there are a number of ways in which it's possible to be serious without being too serious. Mm-hmm. Um Otherwise, I would never be able to do this work. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank I, you very much for coming yeah. on the show, Catherine. Thanks so much, Catherine. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. It was great to have Catherine on the show and talk it about was. a topic that we haven't actually discussed or considered much before, mm-hmm. particularly discussing the different forms of sustainability and how that can be applied by founders mm-hmm. in terms of waste minimization, as well as thinking about the long-term trajectory of your company and how really sustainability can be incorporated into every aspect of the startup. I think I found that particularly interesting. Very much so. And I also liked how she emphasized that to think about sustainability not only requires you to think about the here and now, but potentially include other stakeholders, maybe stakeholders that haven't been born or stakeholders that can't articulate themselves, such as animals or plants. Mm. Uh, I was also very impressed by what Catherine mentioned about decision-making and how founders who are facing a lot of uncertainty can perhaps think about decision-making and and, and approach this in a a practical way. Mm. Thanks very much to Catherine for joining us on Q Talks. The podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. We would also like to say a big thanks to the QTech team for helping behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks. <laughs>